Hey, thanks for listening to Cornerstone Church. You can find us on the web at akcornerstone.org. And we want you to know it's our prayer that the Holy Spirit will use this message to either save you through the good news about Jesus Christ, grow you into the likeness of Jesus, or send you to proclaim Jesus in the Spirit's power. The cross of Jesus Christ shows us how deeply committed God is to this world of flesh and blood. And the Bible wants us to know that the cross was no accident. It was God's plan for our redemption. For in the very first sermon after Jesus' resurrection, Peter clearly explained that even though Jesus was put to death by being nailed to a cross, he said this was God's plan which he had made long ago. Peter got that idea from Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane on that terrible night of betrayal and arrest when Peter had pulled out his sword and had cut off the ear of Malchus, the high priest's servant. And Jesus said, Peter, put your sword back in its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? And then in the book of Revelation, it says that Jesus was the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. In the little devotional book that we've been reading this month, there was a writing by Max Licato that has deeply impacted me, and he said, Jesus' death was not the result of a panicking cosmological engineer. The cross wasn't a tragic surprise. Calvary was not a knee-jerk response to a world plummeting toward destruction. It wasn't a patch-up job or a stopgap measure. The death of the Son of God was anything but an unexpected peril. No, it was part of an incredible plan, a calculated choice. The moment the forbidden fruit touched the lips of Eve, the shadow of the cross appeared on the horizon. And between that moment and the moment when the man with the mallet placed the spike against the wrist of God, a master plan was fulfilled. I love that truth because if everything that Jesus did was intentional and not accidental, then everything about Jesus' death is significant. His words on the cross, and even the placement of his cross between two thieves, and the conversation on the cross between those thieves. Isn't it interesting that Jesus was not the only man that died that day, but in the providential will of God, there were two other men hanging there with him, and a conversation took place. And the historian Luke has recorded that conversation. It's found in Luke 23, verse 39 through 43. And here's what Luke says happened that day. He said, One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him, Don't you fear God? He said, 
since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. I want to point out three points of wisdom that this conversation addresses. The first is, what kind of prayer does God answer? The second is their mercy for sin. And the third is their life after death. First of all, what kind of prayer does God answer? Well, in order to know that, we need to know the prophecy that is the backdrop to this event. It's found from the old prophet Isaiah, who said that Jesus, the Messiah, would be numbered with the transgressors and that he would bear the sin of many and he would make intercession for the transgressors. So when Jesus was crucified on the cross between two thieves, Isaiah's prediction was fulfilled that the Messiah would be numbered with the transgressors, would bear the sins of many, and would make intercession for the transgressors. Now before we answer the question, what kind of prayer does God answer, what do we know about these two men? these two transgressors. Luke doesn't actually give us their names. He just points out their character. He said they were criminals. They were thieves. They were men who lacked righteousness. They were not good men. They were sinners. So can sinners talk to God? Will God ever listen to to the prayer of an unrighteous person? Well, we'll get back to that question in a moment. First, I want to construct a picture for you. We know from other literature that that these criminals had names. The one was named Dismas and the other was named Gestus. The repentance thief's name was Dismas and the unrepentant thief's name was Gestus. And over the years, Dismas has become an example or a symbol of repentance or of conversion. And he's been described as the good thief or the wise thief or the penitent thief. It's become even a common practice in prison chapels and uh, to name the chapel after Dismas since he represents the epitome of a repentant wrongdoer, and also he represents God's willingness to forgive sinners no matter how far they may have fallen. In my hometown of Kingston, Ontario, there's an old limestone church that was built in 1894, and it's called the Church of the Good Thief. Interesting name for a church, isn't it? I can remember as a driving by that church as a young boy and thinking, that's an interesting church, church that's full of thieves. Well, it's an interesting church, all right, because it was a church back there in 1894 that was built just two blocks from the local penitentiary, Kingston Penitentiary, and it was built by inmates of that penitentiary who quarried the stone and carried it to the job site and were paid 25 cents a day for their work. 
And for many years, that was the only church in the world that had that name that was dedicated to the thief on the cross. And I always loved driving by that church, particularly when my mom was in the hospital, just down King Street, King Street a ways, in Kingston General Hospital, drive by there every day, and I'd crank my neck and look at that church and say, that's a neat name for a church, the Church of the Good Thief. What a great message a name like that gives out. Because here's a church located in the shadows of a penitentiary, built by the hands of criminals, and has a name that reminds us of the forgiving grace and the intercession of Jesus Christ for sinners. Isn't that neat? According to the ancient church father, John Chrysostom, who was the archbishop of Constantinople in the 4th century, he said that Dismas lived in the deserts and he robbed and murdered anyone who was unlucky enough to cross his path. And Gregory the Great, who was a pope, in the 6th century, said that Dismas was guilty of blood, even the blood of his own brother. And there's another ancient legend that comes from an Arabic infancy gospel that says that when Joseph and Mary went down to Egypt, remember when they were escaping uh, from Herod, who was going to kill all the, the young infant boys, that they escaped to Egypt. And on their way to Egypt, according to this ancient legend, that they were ambushed by a band of thieves, including Dismas and Gestus. And one of the robbers picked up this spiritual vibe that there was something special about this family. And one of the thieves influenced the rest of the bandits to leave this family alone. And the old legend says that the thief that influenced the other bandits' name was Dismas. Both the Eastern and the Western Church have called him St. Dismas. I don't know whether you know it, but the 24th day of March has commonly come to be known as the Feast of St. Dismas. So Dismas is part of the record, the story that Luke has included about the cross of Jesus Christ. He's the penitent thief and he's a significant part of this story tonight. He has an important thing to say to you and to me. On his dying day, he confessed his faith in Jesus when he prayed, Lord, remember me. Why? What would God do with a prayer like that? A prayer that says, Lord, remember me. Well, do you remember what Isaiah had said and how the Messiah would uh, would be put to death with transgressors and would make intercession for the transgressors? It tells us tonight that Jesus is praying for us. Jesus is praying for you. Jesus is your advocate before the Father making intercession for you. Jesus stands on the other side of death at the right hand of the Father, he's fully alive and he's interceding for you. He's praying for you. Reminds me of that great old hymn by Charles Wesley where here's this man that's laden with fear and guilt thinking, I can never approach God. I could never talk to God. And Charles Wesley writes, Arise, my soul, arise and shake off your guilty fears. 
the bleeding sacrifice on your behalf appears. He ever lives above for you to intercede. His all-redeeming love, His precious blood to plead. His, the, his blood that was atoned for all our race sprinkles now the throne of grace. Five bleeding wounds He bears received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers. They strongly plead for me. Forgive Him. Forgive him, they cry. Don't let that ransom sinner die. Then the father hears him pray. His dear anointed one, he cannot turn away the presence of his son. And the spirit answers to the blood and tells me that I'm born of God. Our prayers don't go unheard because Jesus has gone ahead of us to be our advocate. And it's the intercession of Jesus that invites us into the presence of God's paradise. There's an old story about two Roman brothers whose name was Amentus and Aculus. Aculus was accused of some crime and was condemned to die. His brother Amentus had performed many noble services for his country to the degree that he had lost his arm in battle. He was highly respected by his fellow countrymen. And when he learned that his brother was likely to be condemned to die, Amentus entered into, he walked straight into the assembly of the commonwealth and he said nothing, but he only lifted up the stump of his arm. And the sight of that scarred arm had such an eloquent appeal to the members of the commonwealth that they freed his brother immediately. It was his sacrifice that interceded on behalf of his brother. Revelation 5, 6 says that John got a glimpse of what's going on in heaven. And he said, there in the midst of the throne stands a lamb as if it had been slain. You see, the prayer that prevails before the Father is a prayer that has been echoed from the cross who died for our sins. It's the prayer of Jesus. And any prayer that you and I pray needs to be a prayer of faith that trusts in Jesus Christ. And so that's why the Bible teaches us to pray in His name. Because He is the one who is seated at the right hand of the Father bearing intercession for us. So does God listen to our prayer? Absolutely. That's what God wants. He wants fellowship with you and with me. But we come into the paradise of God's presence through the worthiness of Jesus' blood. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me, through me. So Dismas' prayer shows remarkable faith when he said, Lord, remember me. He believed that Jesus would be fully alive on the other side of death, standing at the right hand of the Father and interceding for him, remembering him. Maybe there's someone here tonight who needs to know that Jesus wants to be your personal Savior too. That he's someone who hears your prayers. He's someone who cares. 
that he ever lives above for you to intercede? Can a sinner talk to God? Yes, but you have to talk to him like Dismas and not Gestus. Gestus was full of self-righteousness, and he demanded Jesus to save him. But Dismas was full of repentance, and he asked Jesus for mercy. Gestus had no remorse for his sin, and so he came to Jesus with this sense sense of pride and entitlement. But Dismas had a humble, broken spirit, as if to echo the words of Charles Wesley who wrote, In my hands no price I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. See, this conversation from the cross shows us the kind of prayer that God answers. He answers the prayer of Jesus for sinners. And He answers our prayers only when we pray in faith in the atoning grace of Jesus Christ for us. Secondly, this prayer of the repentant thief raises another question. Is there mercy for our sin? Now, when Dismas said to Jesus, Lord, remember me, he was asking for mercy for his sin. He was asking for restoration and reconciliation rather than retribution. Now, I believe that Dismas had a very clear understanding of the justice of God because he is the one on the cross who rebukes the other thief, Gestus, when Gestus demanded Jesus to rescue himself, Dismas turns to Gestus and he says, Don't you fear God? This man has done nothing wrong. And so Dismas knew that there was proper retribution for wrongdoing. He knew that justice was due to them. But when he said, Lord, remember me, He understood another thing, and that is that there is tenderness and that there is a kindness in God's justice. Just like Noah, he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. F.W. Faber has written this great hymn that says, There is a wideness in God's justice like the wideness of the sea. There's a kindness in His justice which is more than liberty. There's a welcome for the sinner, and more graces for the good. There is mercy with the Savior. There is healing in His blood. You see, at the heart of the Bible's teaching about the justice of God is also a revelation that God prefers restoration over retribution. He prefers mercy over sacrifice. What is God's justice like? It works toward, works actually through the sacrifice of Christ toward the goal of restoring us into relationship with Him rather than retribution, rather than giving us what we deserve. Someone has said that grace is God giving us what we don't deserve and mercy is God withholding from us what we do deserve. And so the penitent thief is expressing faith when he says, Lord, remember me. And it was revealed to him by the Lord that in the heart of God, there is a welcome for the sinner. He knew he could come to the Lord through that 
the merit of that death of the man who was dying beside him on that cross. And so what was Jesus' quick reply? It's very good news, my friend. He said, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. For this thief on the cross, this was a great day of grace. And this can be a day of grace for you as well tonight. Just turn your heart toward Jesus and say, Lord, remember me. Worst days can become your best days when you discover what God is like. And God invites you to filter the sin of your life, the history of your life, the guilt of your life through the cross of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul put it this way. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Notice the language, riches. (laughs) He's got a lot of grace. He's not in poverty when it comes to grace. The riches of his grace, which he lavishes upon us. When I think of the word lavish, I think of, Waves on the ocean lapping up on the shore. It's endless. It's endless. It never runs out. (laughs) Will you let his grace lap up on the shore and the history and the guilt and the sin of your life tonight and let his grace be lavished upon you? So there were three crosses on Calvary's hill that day. On one cross, there was a man named Gestus who shows us how close we can get to Christ and miss the opportunity to enter into his kingdom. On another cross, there's a man named Gestus that shows us how far we may have fallen and yet be reconciled to God. And on the third cross, there is a Savior named Jesus Christ who shows us how wide the welcome of God's mercy reaches out to the sinner and that His grace is free and undeserved and unearned. Christ is placed between two thieves in order to represent the clear choice that we have to make tonight. Either we reject Him as Gestus did or we accept Him as Dismas did. The whole of humanity is represented in the two responses of these two men. On the middle cross, Jesus dies for sin. On the second cross, Dismas dies to sin. And on the third cross, Gestus dies in his sin. The soldiers hang Jesus between two notorious criminals as if to show that he was the worst of the three. But God overruled and he painted an entirely different story and a different picture. And the story of the penitent thief shows us that our worst day can become our best day when we place our faith in the mercy of God. The thief came to the cross with a history of sin, but he left with a testimony of forgiveness and reconciliation. I want to encourage you tonight to not leave here without laying your sin at the cross of Jesus Christ. You can leave your history here tonight. You can leave your guilt here tonight. And you can walk away with freedom in your soul. 
You can walk away knowing that you're forgiven, knowing that there's a wideness in God's mercy and knowing that you can go with Jesus into the paradise of God. God, who suffered on the cross, forgave a poor thief and he showed the entire world what he is like. Do you want to know what God is like? Just look at the cross. We don't need any other argument. We don't need any other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. We know what God is like. He's relentlessly kind. He's lavishly generous. He's continually good. He's infinitely gracious and merciful. So Dismas was asking, can I talk to God and be a friend of God and have a relationship with God? Is there mercy for my sin? But he was asking for something else as well. When he said, Lord, remember me. He was asking, is there life after death? Philosophers say that what we think about death and life beyond it is the key to thinking seriously about everything else. And the great truth about the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ is that death is a beaten enemy. And so when Jesus told this penitent thief today, today you will be with me in paradise, he was saying that there is life after death. And he was promising him that after death, there shall be an eternal waking in the paradise of God. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. In the 17th century, there was a poet named John Donne. He wrote a wonderful poem. I'd like to read a few lines from it, and I'm not sure I can do justice to how John Donne was seeing it, but I'm going to try. It was titled, Death Be Not Proud. Death be not proud, though some have called thee mighty and dreadful, for thou art not so. Why swellest thou then? One short sleep past, and we wake eternally, and death shall be no more. Death, thou shalt die. <laughs> well, what happens after death? Well, for the person who says, Lord, remember me, after we die, we wake eternally. We are reconciled with God, and we're united with Christ in paradise. Dismas wanted life after death. Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. And that proclamation of Jesus is inviting you and me as well. The Bible story is for us. We're invited to enter into it and become a partaker of hope. The world we live in now is not paradise, is it? Everybody figured that out? <laughs> Paradise is ahead of us. This world, as we know it, is waiting eagerly. Paul says in Romans, it's groaning, waiting, anxious, longing for the day of its redemption to be set free. 
from the entanglement of sin and the effects of the fall. Let me say something to you before we go. If we are living only for today, if we are pinning our hopes in a world that is not yet redeemed, then we will become sadly disappointed with this world's limitations. We can see beyond today when we look at our future through the lens of Jesus Christ. Lord, remember me. He says, today you'll be with me in paradise. There is a paradise ahead of us for the people of God. And our hope in a future resurrection is guaranteed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is the first fruits of everyone who is raised and who trusts in Jesus Christ. There is life after death. So when we say, Lord, remember me, it means our sins can be forgiven and it means we can become people of hope. And the Holy Spirit will give us a heartbeat for God and we become wide awake with worship and we aren't crushed by the news. We aren't full of gloom, despair, and agony on me. We know that Christ has not abandoned creation because the cross of Jesus Christ is an eloquent appeal. It's a profound revelation and a realization that God has deeply committed Himself to this world of flesh and blood. And Satan will not win. God will get his deep dream done. Praise the Lord. And soon and very soon, Jesus will return and renew all things. This is both promised and guaranteed because Jesus is no longer on the cross. Today you will be with me in paradise. Friends, I believe I am so aware how I lack the mental capacity. I have no idea. I'm sure I have no idea. I cannot comprehend how much God is deeply committed to this world of flesh and blood. The cross is what persuades us of that. And do you know what the words of Jesus to Dismas tells me? That God has future plans for this world and he wants you to be a part of it. And he wants us to be in his future. Satan did not win. Death shall be no more. Christ is coming to renew all things. Would you like to become a part of God's future? You can. Just like the penitent thief, you can also. God does answer prayer. There is mercy for sin and there is life after death. Our loving God came down to earth. It wasn't an accident. He chose to die on the cross as God's eternal plan for our redemption and his commitment to this world of flesh and blood to forgive our sins and invite us into the paradise of God, into eternal life, intimate fellowship, and abundant joy in His new creation. I'd like to invite you now to say these words, Lord, remember me. I don't know where you're at 
He knows your history, and you know your history. This man on the cross beside Jesus had a history. He had a bleak, black, dark history. We all have a history. But this message tonight is an encouragement that tells us all we have to do is say, Lord, remember me. Remember me and reach out to Jesus by faith, understanding that he died for our sins. He died for your history and he died for your future. (laughs) He was raised for your future. And so you can bring both the failures of your life and the future of your life to Jesus Christ. Will you say, Lord, remember me? Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this message tonight, for this Good Friday. It's such a Good Friday, Lord. So good, because you buried our sins in the sea of your forgetfulness. Lord, this was your signature day when you took our sins away and you broke the power of death and darkness and ushered in the beginning of of a whole new creation. You disarmed principalities and powers and set into motion the beginning of a whole new future for our world. And you invited us to be a part of it. Such grace, such kindness, such mercy, Lord. We lack the ability to comprehend it. But I pray tonight that every one of us will be a become a part of that family of God. Lord, I just sense your love reaching out to these people just now. The love that took you to the cross is asking us each one to say, Lord, remember me. Lord, remember us. Remember us, Lord.